accountability. Nothing personal. Word of the day. Start that again, Coca. Here we go. 70, 69, 96. Accountability. Nothing personal. Word of the day for Thursday, April 22nd, 2021. Accountability. A word thrown around by LeBron James in a deleted tweet. And I thought that it would be important to discuss LeBron James and what his role is in this new, ever-changing world where athletes are not shutting up and dribbling, where athletes are taking their platform and using it to effectuate change, to point out injustice, and to actually attempt to change narratives. Everybody's emotions are hugely high, obviously, and raw over the Derek Chauvin case, as well as not just the death of George Floyd, but all of the deaths that have taken place, not just at the hands of the police, but in general over the tens, twenties, and hundreds of years. So an event happened right during the deliberation in the uh, Derek Chauvin case. There was another death at the hand of a police officer. In this case, it was a little girl and we didn't know much. The thing about cases when you hear about them with the internet and on social media is when things become viral or when word spreads about an event, and I have been as guilty about this as anybody, you see something, you read something, you sort of look at it, you may not look at it as closely as you need to, you then comment on it because you don't wanna miss it. Whatever size your platform is, you're trying to grow your platform, you're trying to use your platform, not just to build your brand, but also to try to do good when possible, if possible. LeBron James sees that a police officer has shot and killed a little girl and tweets, you're next with a picture of this policeman. Hashtag accountability. People saw that tweet. I'm not sure who called LeBron. I wonder who LeBron listens to. Is it friends? Is it family? Is it Jeannie Buss? Is it Anthony Davis? Is it Dwayne Wade? Is it Carmelo Anthony? Chris Paul? Is it nobody? Is it his wife? Maybe LeBron James looked at that tweet and then read a follow-up article that said, uh-oh, the little girl who was killed apparently had a knife, was lunging at someone with a knife. And the cop thought in that situation, he had no choice given the hullabaloo that was going on. Though I don't think that's the word. I think it's hullabaloo. Fired his weapon and the person died. So what LeBron did is deleted his tweet. Because when you tweet your next with a hourglass and a hashtag accountability, what you're saying is that you're next to be murdered talking about the white police officer. Maybe what he meant is you're next to be tried and convicted and go to prison. Doesn't matter what he meant. Everybody on Twitter has become the judge and jury, everybody on YouTube, everybody on whatever platform they're on. We are all now the judge and jury, except we don't have the facts and we don't know the law. Other than that, we are fully equipped to make snap judgments. 
You can turn on any network you want at any day of the week, any day of the time of the day, and you will see someone who is a paid contributor or a celebrity who is asked to go on a network and discuss a situation that I guarantee you they don't know squat about. There just hasn't been enough information, enough time to disseminate the information. So LeBron deletes the tweet and says, what do I do now? And he said, all right, I got an idea. Let me do a follow-up tweet. The follow-up tweet said, anger does any of us any good. I think he meant never does any of us any good. And that includes myself. Gathering all the facts and educating does though. My anger still is here for what happened that little girl. My sympathy for her family and may justice prevail. It's a reasonable tweet, I thought. Gathering the facts and educating does good. I wanted that to be the headline of the tweet because that's the headline of the segment. What do you do if you're the Lakers? What do you do if you're his agent? What do you do if you're his family? Coke and I had a pre-show disagreement about this because his view is LeBron listens to nobody. My view is that LeBron was spoken to by somebody and that's why he deleted the tweet. He did not have an epiphany that said, uh-oh, this is not being looked at well. I'm not sure LeBron looks at his mentions. I'm not sure that it matters when you have 45 or so million followers, you can't possibly look at DMs or mentions. It's just too much. You have to turn those settings off. I think that's a sign of when you've really made it to the top 1% of Twitter is when you don't look at your mentions or see them or care about them. So someone said to him, you are acknowledging in your tweet that it is okay to murder a cop. And I think LeBron said, that's not at all what I meant. So what do you do when a player does something that means something to everybody except him, where the interpretation of what he does or says is clear to everyone except him. Do you treat that player differently because of his talent, his skill, or do you consistently try to make an example of that player, even though it may not necessarily have an impact on the team, either positive or negative? It's not like something we'll talk about later in the show with the player doesn't hustle or a player doesn't try or a player who's tanking. This is a player's off the court actions. As a team president, I can't be responsible for what they do off the court. I can try to help them as much as I can. Try to make them see things they don't see because they're young. But LeBron is not a kid anymore. He's not 20. LeBron's in his 30s now. And with his fame and fortune has to come a level of accountability that he wants to impose on others that must be imposed on him too. So what I was hoping LeBron was going to do when he chose not to was to use his deleted tweet to tell people about self-accountability. That would have been what I would have said to him as president of the Lakers. Use this opportunity to try to not inflame a situation, but to try to be self-deprecating enough to the point where you acknowledge that you are normal, that even though you are LeBron James, you are normal, and often you make mistakes. 
and that we have to try to have a zero tolerance for mistakes where you are calling for a level of violence that you are trying to prevent when it's against people of color. You should be against violence toward any person. Unprovoked, incorrectly proportional violence is exactly what we are trying to get rid of in the country. I'm not sure LeBron would listen to me. Maybe he listens to Janine Buss. I actually don't know the answer to that question. Coca thinks he may not listen to anyone. I think he has to. I think what's next for LeBron is that he is going to continue to get better and better with his platform, understanding the power of his platform. And what I look forward to is the day when LeBron becomes the leader off the court that he is on the court. The person that we go to when there is a time of crisis in our country, it didn't work in China. It didn't work with this police shooting, but I have hope that it will work going forward because LeBron is smart enough to know that the power that he has is endless. And it is the type of power that will continue long after his career is over. He is that type of athlete. He is that type of unicorn that the interest that we have in what LeBron does, says, and thinks will last long after he stops lacing up the latest LeBron shoe. I got a tweet from somebody yesterday. What what we do with nothing personal is we start putting the show together right after we finish the previous day's show. And we start looking at stories and thinking about things. And then we do a sort of run through in the evening. And then we talk about it again in the morning to see what happened overnight. And then we do the show. We always try to have a So You Want to Talk to Samson segment because every day there's amazing questions. In this case, I got a So You Want to Talk to Samson that was identical to what we were going to have in the show, which makes this a nice Thursday coincidence. You know what I want? I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson from the movie Half-Baked? It's when you want to talk to me. Get in Twitter at David P. Samson. Hit follow because you're supposed to. And then get into the DMs, which are still open, and ask a question. Would love your thoughts on this or generally speaking. Organizations promising a loosening up on COVID restrictions and not following through on these promises. Sounds like a general question, but it was specific about a topic I was going to discuss and that had potential to lead off the show. And it was about mental health and it tied into the vaccine and the issues that teams are having right now. So let me formulate the issue for you. The NBA has said, and Major League Baseball has said, get yourself 85% vaccine for tier one employees, which are players and coaches. Prove that it's 85% with your great vaccine card or your Excelsior Pass or whatever it is that you can get. And we will tight, we will loosen the COVID rules and the COVID protocols that you have all been under. We will let you gather on team planes. We'll let you go out to restaurants. We'll let you have people in your hotel rooms. We will let you return to a semblance of the normalcy that you have enjoyed as a professional athlete. 
I always enjoy when we say normalcy as it relates to the life of a professional athlete. Having been on the road with professional athletes for as long as I have, there is nothing normal about life on the road for professional athletes. Nothing. We don't fly normally. We, I'm not a professional athlete. I was just part of the traveling party. We don't fly normally. We don't stay in normal hotels. We don't check in normally. We don't get places normally. When we go to places we want to go to, we're not treated normally. There is nothing normal about it. Start with that. But a return to normalcy is all relative. And athletes want it. Hockey, however, has not followed suit. And the reason they have not followed suit is that they've got such a huge Canadian presence and Canada is so far behind us, United States. For those of you listening to Canada, I know there are a lot of you, I didn't mean us. Canada is so far behind in terms of vaccines, in terms of availability, that the NHL has not yet given the promise to the players that if you get 85% vaccinated, the way the NBA and and NFL is saying, that we will let you have some return to normalcy. The Las Vegas Golden Knights have a player. He's their goaltender. And he's 29 years old. And his view of what the NHL is doing to him specifically and to players in generally has been not just unfair, but also a pack of lies. He went public yesterday saying that we had a meeting when the season started in the beginning of camp that pretty much told us you can't go outside. You can't do anything. You can't go to a grocery store. You can't do anything on the road. You can't take a meal except in your room. You can't be with your teammates. No one is thinking about the mental impact. And there are people struggling, he said. I know that people react to that by saying, you're millionaires. What are you crying about? But no matter what people say or think, we have a society problem. But when governments, corporations, and the NHL take decisions in terms of these irrelevant things like competitive edge over the human being, it's not okay, man. And this goaltender for the Knights has had a history of mental issues. He's bipolar, acknowledged he's bipolar. He has ADHD. He has PTSD from a childhood trauma. He was told when COVID started because of his problems that he should not be isolated, but he's had to be isolated because of what he does for a living. He accused the NHL of lying by saying, if you all get vaccinated, we will do what the NBA did in lighten restrictions. Teams have been told to get vaccinated by their executives, by their front office. They hand the players a document that outlines what the NBA did once players got vaccinated. So the NHL players thought if we do it, if we do that, we will be treated like the NBA players are treated. And then they do it. And then the NHL comes out and says, we never promised you a Rose Garden. We never said to you that we would have any deal in place like the NBA. So we've got a slight issue in this country about the vaccine right now. The problem is, when do we loosen the restrictions that we are all under? 
When do we achieve herd immunity? What number of people need to be vaccinated? Why are people not getting vaccinated? Do we need to make people get vaccinated? Are you willing to go into a arena where other people are not vaccinated? Are you willing to still wear your mask if you are vaccinated? Because if you don't wear your mask when you're vaccinated, that means people cannot wear their mask if they're not vaccinated by saying they are vaccinated. And then all of a sudden, where are we? These are issues that the CDC is wrestling with. And these are issues that major league sports are wrestling with. Remember, we talked about the Miami Heat had the all vax section that Governor Ron DeSantis said, you can't have, that's illegal, get rid of it. So the Miami Heat said, we're not gonna fight. We'll get rid of the all vaccinated section. The vaccinated dogs, the dogs who could smell whether or not you were vaccinated, whether or not you were sick, they had to get rid of those too. But that's Ron DeSantis's Florida. That's not necessarily the entire country. But when you are running a league, you have to take into account the greater good theory. It's the John Stuart Mill philosophy that we've talked about, the greater good theory. What may not be good for one, but is good for two, makes it the imperative. When you can save 10 lives, I mean, this is really cutting down the greater good theory to the, to the core, but if you can save 10 lives by killing one, the theory is you do that. I'm going all the way back to my college life in this, but that was my always understanding of John Stuart Mill. I took that philosophy to heart not when it came to killing, but in general, when you are evaluating something as a team president, if I can make 20 people in the company better by hurting one person, I'm going to do that. And I don't mean physically or mentally. I'm talking about in terms of budget allocations or any decisions that are made to run a team. I don't mean to get so off the subject, but what I'm really talking about is what the NHL and what MLB are dealing with, which is trying to get the majority of people vaccinated in order to let the majority of people return to that level of normalcy. And they're willing to let the minority of people who are not vaccinated enjoy the fruits of the benefits that come with the majority. But there's dangers in that. How much pressure would I put on our team to get vaccinated? 100% pressure. I would explain to all people that it is a requirement. I would require all fans to be vaccinated before having access to a ballpark, to a stadium. I'd require all flight attendants and pilots and hotel employees to be vaccinated before they were able to be in contact with our players. The reason why I take such a 100% black and white harsh stance is I know that the actual percentage of people in touch with our players can never be 100%, but I have to make it aspirational. I have to recognize there will become a black market for vax cards. I have to recognize that there will be fallout from this position, but what is best for the majority of players is the position I want to take because the mental health of the players has been ignored for this entire pandemic. There was no accounting for the mental toll that it took on the NBA players in the bubble. There was no accounting for the mental health it took on MLB players to play that rush 60 games. There is no accounting for the NHL players who are playing within their divisions. There's now, remember, they're all, remember they all got named and sponsored. 
I can't remember what any of them are called now, which means the sponsorships are not all that impactful. But there's an all-Canada division, then there's an Eastern division, a Western division, a Central division, and they're all playing each other. That's all they're playing during the season. And it is true that they are not able to do things on the road or at home. They are literally on lockdown. There's been no thought from the leagues to add extra levels of mental health for the players. There's been no thought on some sort of exemptions for players who have a level of provable mental anxiety, mental health disorders that need to be treated on a daily basis. And the reason that the NHL is taking the position they're taking and why they're forced to double down when one of their own players calls them liars. They're forced to double down and say, we never promised you a rose garden is that they cannot allow anarchy within the ranks of the players because they do not have the level of vaccinations that the CDC has said is what is needed to start with herd immunity. But is mental health one of those things that's more important than physical health? We've already heard from players that they're playing too many games too often and the injuries are rampant. Every other day, every day, there's an NBA player getting injured. Whether it's hamstrings, which we all said was going to happen right here on Nothing Personal. Too many games, too quickly, injuries are going to happen. We said it in baseball. Offseason was too short. They're doing too much. We said it in basketball. Not enough offseason. Not enough training camp. You're going to see soft tissue injuries like the Nets are seen with James Harden, like Kevin Durant has had basically all season long. You're going to see it with the baseball players. And we have. So we know they didn't take into account their physical well-being. And we know the leagues didn't take into account their mental well-being because they had to get games in because they had fiscal responsibility. So here's a thought. Why not sit down with the players, especially in a capped league like the NBA, like the NFL, and say, if you want to put in jeopardy your revenue, we're not going to artificially inflate the cap. We're not going to smooth the cap. But if you don't want to play, no problem. But you don't play, you don't get paid. Is that an unreasonable position by the leagues to take? to put it in the hands of their workers. We are empowering the union. If you want fewer games, no problem. But here's what it's going to mean. You want more games, no problem. But here's what it's going to mean. You want not to have to be forced to be vaccinated, no problem. Here's what it's going to mean. But leagues and presidents and commissioners and owners are so afraid to give any sort of decision-making power to players because they fear that that will scab away at the power the owners have had from the beginning of time. It will scab away layer by layer and make the line disappear between owner and player. And that line is something that owners depend on, need and crave, and players want to have disappear. That's why you see all these owners wanting to become players. That's why you see all these players wanting to become owners, right? Mark Cuban suiting up to play with his team. Dwayne Wade buying teams. LeBron James saying he's going to buy a team. Magic Johnson buying into a team. It's so obvious what's happening. 
My final suggestion to reiterate this point and to answer your question, if you are going to promise something to your players, you better follow up. If you are going to have your players promise you something, you've got to hold them accountable. When it comes to COVID and vaccines, if you're not willing to educate your players and make a rule in conjunction with the union, then you have no grounds, no grounds to be disappointed when your players can't perform for either mental or physical reasons. There are other reasons that players don't perform. That's for sure. The concept of the sophomore slump, have you heard of that? You've heard of the freshman 15? I don't know what that means. I think it's when you go to college because you're not at home anymore and you can eat whatever you want that you gain 15 pounds. I ate so much Hormel chili in college, I can't even tell you. Get it in a can, get macaroni and cheese, pour the Hormel chili in the macaroni and cheese, make it and you've got yourself like two meals. I lived on top of a Taco Bell, by the way, Coca. Did you know that? At the University of Wisconsin, I lived on State Street on top of a Taco Bell. In three years living on top, I lived on Taco Bell two years. I didn't walk into that restaurant one time. Too scared that I would go there every single day. What I love about college is the ability to eat what you kill. You know that expression? That, that's a Wall Street expression, Coca. When you're on commission and you get a rip, you get a, uh, you get a commission for selling a stock or for doing a deal or for getting a new client, and you know whatever business you do, you're going to get a commission that's been agreed upon, and that's how you're going to make money. In college, everyone lives meal to meal, right? You get a meal plan, but mostly... You don't want to do the meal plan because the cafeteria food stinks or it's too expensive. So you just figure out what you're going to eat. I bet someone like Coca, I've never spoken to him about this, but I can just picture Coca in college at West Virginia where he went eating like uh, spam every day or string cheese or something like that. I think that'd be hysterical watching Coca do that, mixing the cheese and the spam. Coca's whispering in my ear. You don't have to whisper at Coca. They can't hear you. The audience can't hear you, Coca. You didn't. You did not eat cold hot dogs, did you? Oh, your roommate did. Your roommate ate cold hot dogs. By the way, is it more expensive to eat hot hot dogs than cold hot dogs? Because you'd have to pay for gas or electric. Was that your theory there? I would imagine that you could find a way. Just how about a lighter that you used on spleefs? Couldn't you just use the lighter to make the hot dogs hotter? I would think you'd be able to do that. So the freshman 15 turns into the sophomore slump. Sophomore slump is what we would call in sports when we had a great rookie of the year, and then that rookie of the year in year two did not have a good year. The sophomore slump is what's used in sports to indicate the possible outcome that someone who is really, really good becomes really, really average which is why you better be very careful if you sign a contract just based on somebody's first year in the big leagues. There was a discussion yesterday about 
a member of the Miami Heat. His name is Tyler Hero. If you've never heard of him, he was in the bubble in Orlando kicking ass and taking names, making it all the way to the NBA Finals. He may have been the youngest player to ever play, uh, to ever start in the NBA Finals. I don't think that's possible. That seems totally off to me, but I don't know where I would have read that. He scored like 30 plus points in a game four against the Lakers. And then he came second year with the Heat and he was a star, like a celebrity. This guy embraced South Beach like he was Pitbull. He started dating Instagram influencers. He started going out. He started having, being a rapper. I want to say he recorded a song or has an album or did something called RAF, which stands for Rich and Famous, which is how he considers himself. And by the way, he got an $11 million deal over two years, I think, which to everybody in the world, it means you're RAF. But in terms of your basketball career, you're just starting to be R and you're barely F. So I think that his album should be called ARAF, almost rich and famous. But what happens when a player thinks he's RAF and he's an ARAF? Well, if you go into your sophomore year and you're RAF or ARAF, or you're not even close to the A of RAF, and then you stink, but you still act like you're a RAF, and then your teammates look at you and say, you're not R and you're not F, I'm RAF. And I'm here to play every day, and you're out getting hammered and posting and going out all the time to 11. Is that the club in Miami that starts at 5 a.m.? I've been out of Miami for so long, I can't remember. What's it called, Coca? I think it's called 11. Can anyone get AJ on the phone? AJ, is it 11? I think it is. Going to these places, and then all of a sudden, you're not even scoring double digits. All of a sudden, your team is in seventh place, barely holding on to a playoff spot, needing to do the play-in tournament. And you're walking around like you own the place because you had a great rookie campaign. Well, Tyler, do you know the number of players who are all-stars, who are rookie phenoms, and who turn into nothing, who have no careers, who don't end up becoming R, and their F disappears so fast that your head would spin? Because once you're not R, the reason you're not F is all of the influencers and all the hangers honors who want to be hanging out with someone who's R and F don't want to be hanging out with you when you're neither R nor F. And then all of a sudden you're N nothing. Not saying you can't rebuild, not saying you can't be a productive member of society. What I am saying, however, is that the life that you are building for yourself is only good if you keep performing. It's something I've said to players time and time again. I love how R and F you are and want to be. But if you're not G as H, then none of it M. If you're not good as hell, none of it matters. How quickly can you list the number of players who you thought were going to be great who end up not having a career. How quickly can you list the number of rookies of the year who end up flaming out? 
How quickly can you list the number of players who have a 10-game stretch where they score 25 points and you think they're going to be great? They may even get a little contract and they end up as nothing. Tyler Hero, you are on your way to that and you better take a beat. Why Pat Riley? Why Eric Spolstra? And why Jimmy Butler, the leaders of the Heat, have not taken Tyler Hero into a room and bitch slapped him is beyond me. Is that an expression that I can use, Coca? That's that's not meant to be offensive. That's when you take someone in and you slap them upside the head. Not literally. Obviously, you say, listen, are you kidding me here, Tyler? You're pulling in. You look like crap. You're playing worse than that. And you think that all of a sudden your NBA career is guaranteed? Snap out of it. We have a responsibility when we are president of a team or GM or the leader of the team on the field. We have a responsibility to at least give a player the knowledge that they are on the wrong path. It's like being a parent. You can't necessarily control what happens to your kids. All you can do is teach them what the right way is and what the safe way could be. And then you let them make their own decisions, but you teach them that actions and decisions have consequences. The worst part of our society is when people think they can do whatever they want without consequence. Tyler, you're about to see what the consequences are to your choices. We will be right back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. That was a late break in the show. Sorry, Coca. Got carried away. Thank you for making it through the gauntlet, for downloading, following. I On my feed, I couldn't get yesterday's episode. If you have not downloaded and followed yesterday's episode of Nothing Personal, please do. Coca thought it was a good one. So did I, actually. But something happened with Apple, and I don't think it's paywall related. And maybe you got it on your other platforms. Maybe you got it on Apple. But if you didn't, download, follow, subscribe, get on Spotify, do all those things that you do. Tell your friends about nothing personal. We watch a movie every day. Ever heard of Catherine Langford, Coca, and Charlie Plummer? Charlie Plummer was in Lean on Pete, which we reviewed on Nothing Personal recently, which was a great movie about a horse. Catherine Langford, I'd never heard of or seen before. They're in a new movie that came on my screen when I turned on, I don't remember what I turned on, either Amazon or Hulu, but I think it was Amazon called Spontaneous. It said horror, so I wasn't going to watch it. But then I saw Charlie Plummer and Catherine Langford, and I said, 
I don't think this is horror. I think this is more like a coming of age romantic movie. I'm all in. I love those movies. I, I still relate to the high school coming of age movies and not in a creepy way. I just love feel good movies. So I'm watching Spontaneous and in the first five minutes, someone blows up and there's blood splattered everywhere. Blood like, like, a, like a Tarantino movie almost. Very bizarre. This movie is about people who spontaneously combust. Spontaneous combustion is a concept you learn in high school where all of a sudden something's there, a particle, and then all of a sudden it's not. And by the way, don't at me, don't DM me. I'm not making the correction. I have no idea what spontaneous combustion actually is. So I know what it is to me and that's all that matters. So the movie goes on to talk about how two people end up falling in love during a period of time where their entire senior class in high school is spontaneously combusting. I'm all in. Check out the movie. It is well, well worth your time. What's not worth your time is making bad beats hurt the next day. I had a bad beat yesterday. We had the twins over the A's in the nothing personal pick of the day. The Twins lost 13 to 12 and 10 innings. They were up 10-9 going into the bottom of the ninth. The Oakland A's had won 10 in a row. And we said the winning streak would end. Maeda sucked, by the way, and that's the reason we took the Twins. But so did Montes. Runs were scored left, right, and center. The Twins blow the save. We go to the 10th inning. We score two runs. We're up 12-10. Everything's good. And then the A's walk them off with 13 to 12. Three runs bottom of the 10th. GMAB, the twins made an error and we lost 52 and 34 bad beats are going to happen. We're going to rebound though. But the way I rebound from a bad beat is by giving you two picks. That's how pissed I am because I'm chasing Amy. Although I like these picks a lot. We've got Ferris Bueller pitching over the Padres today. The Dodgers are playing the Padres again. The Padres are back to 500. Fernando Tatis is not the Fernando Tatis that you want to believe he can be. How many times do we have to tell you that when you have a partially torn labrum, no matter what the GM of the team says, the player is hurt and he is not going to be able to perform? How many times do we have to say it? I'm just asking. Is anyone watching Tatis's swings? Anybody? Do you know what happens when your left arm, your non-throwing arm, which is your underarm, not your actual underarm, but it's your, what's the word, Coco, when you're holding a bat? I guess your lower arm. When, when your shoulder cannot fully extend because of pain, you don't have the proper swing. Tatis's swings, you know what they look like? A guy who is injured. Is anyone going to recognize this? The Padres are behind the Giants in the NL West. The Giants. It's not the lead arm, Coco. Don't interrupt the show over the lead arm when you don't know what it is. It's not your lead arm, is it? Hold on, let me think. I don't think it's my lead arm. I've heard that expression before. I don't want to say you're wrong, except I'm just annoyed with you because we fought before the show. I like it when you and I fight, Coca. It means that we're making progress. You say we're fighting, I say we're finally talking. Show me the money. That's what Coca says. All right, we're trying. Padres Dodgers had a great series last weekend. They really did. Ferris Bueller is going to have a better game. Take the Dodgers over the Padres. Dodgers are the best team by so far in baseball. It's not even close. But we've got a bonus pick with two surprise teams. Have you noticed where the Seattle Mariners are? Have you noticed that the only reason they're a little bit behind the A's is because the A's have done something that's never been done in history by walking off the damn twins yesterday? 
They lost six in a row to start the season. Remember how bad? Panic. Oh, my God. Samson picked them before the season to win the wild card. They're 0-6. They've now won an 11 in a row. Never happened in history. Never, ever happened in history. But the Mariners have had an unbelievable start to their season. <clears throat> That's not going to last. I forgot to silence during the throat clearing, Coca. Can you edit that out? Ready? I'm going to do that again. All right. I just did it again. Mariners and Red Sox are two teams. Red Sox in first place in the AL East. That's not going to last, but the Yankees have been so terrible. Did you watch the Yankee game? I'm watching the Yankees because I love watching Giancarlo. My MVP pick is not exactly having an MVP year so far, but it's E-A-R-L-Y. However, the Yankees look disorganized, disgruntled. They look like they've got a leadership issue, which is bothersome to me because I love Aaron Boone so much. But what happened during yesterday's game is so important. Labor Torres did what we call a swinging bunt, but it's not really a swinging bunt. It's when you swing and the ball doesn't go far. We call it a swinging bunt to make everyone feel better. It was fielded by the catcher. Catcher throws to first. It's a one to three put out. Where's Glaber? I'm looking at the TV. I'm watching the Glaber. Glaber is jogging up the line. Nothing infuriated me more as a team president than a player not hustling. He had me, David. I got to save myself. Save yourself for what? Carol Alt, what are you saving yourself for? Glaber Torres thought it was okay not to hustle when his team is having trouble winning games and they have one of the worst records in the American League, if not the worst record. Glaber Torres, who's not exactly tearing it up, jogs down the line. Aaron Boone played for the Marlins. Aaron Boone learned very well because he knew he wanted to be a manager. There is a price that needs to be paid when you don't hustle and you pay that price immediately. Glaber Torres needed to be taken out of that game and he needs to be benched, period. You cannot lose your team if you're a manager or a general manager because you allow a player to not hustle. You cannot do it, period. Bonus wait to see, Coca. Glaber Torres will not start the next Yankee game. I think they must play today, right? Bonus wait to see. Glaber Torres is out of the starting lineup because Aaron Boone knows better. And if he starts Glaber Torres, no matter how crappy the Yankees are playing, no matter how much injuries, no matter how important this game is against Cleveland, they have got to set an example. We will not permit it. They are looking up at the damn Red Sox. Alex Cora is doing a great job, by the way. So the Red Sox play the Mariners. Red Sox over the Mariners. Red Sox are just a better team. So we're doing two picks in the nothing personal pick of the day. We're 52 and 34. We've got Bueller and the Dodgers over the Padres. We've got the Red Sox over the Mariners. Do you know how sometimes I come up with these picks of the day? Can you watch on YouTube? Nothing personal with David Sampson. Can you see the video of this? Because here it is. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Do you actually think I do that? I love playing rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Do you hit your palm with your fist and go rock, paper, scissors? Or do you just do it in the air with your fist? Rock, paper, scissors. And do you do it on shoot or do it after shoot? You got to make those rules clear before you do rock, paper, scissors, right? You do rock, paper, scissors, shoot. That's what I do. 
I do it on the fourth. Why am I talking about rock, paper, scissors, shoot? Don't turn off the show. It's too good. We still have three minutes left. Do you know who Nick Sirianni is? Nick Sirianni is the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Sirianni is the new coach who met the media and said, Jalen Hurts, ah, he may start, he may not. We're going to have a competition. We like competition. I need players who are going to be competitive. The draft is coming up. Who are you going to draft? I don't know who I'm going to draft. How do you know when a player is competitive? Nick Sirianni looks left. He looks right. He said, do you want to know how I know? It's very simple. I get on Zoom with my players who I'm thinking of drafting, who I'm interviewing, and I say, let's play rock, paper, scissors, shoot. What? Nick Sirianni actually said, I played a couple of the players in rock, paper, scissors. Let's see how competitive you are, I would say. I'm competitive. I'm going to talk trash to these kids. I want to know, are they going to talk trash back to me? There's a lot of different ways to see if someone's competitive. There's a guy who could be drafted. What's his name? Coca Bowen said to Bowen, I want to play rock, paper, scissors. Bowen freaked out. He's like, I, do we do it on shoot? Do we do it on paper? Do we do it on scissors? He actually just said that'd be great. Maybe Les Bowen is the writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, actually. Coca, three, two, one. So they're meeting the media, and Coach Sirianni says to a writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer, do you want to play rock, paper, scissors? Bowen thought that was strange, being the writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And then Sirianni explained that that is a way to see if someone is competitive. I've got a question for Eagle fans right now. All these people and coaches, there were managers who we interviewed who said, uh, I, I interviewed for another job, they said, and I had to take like a one-hour exam that I was given by another team. Some teams interview managers for six hours. I do want to know what type of player we're getting when we're drafting a player except we're mostly drafting 18-year-olds, sometimes juniors in college. There is no way to give them a Rorschach blot test. There's no way to give them a personality test. There's no way to do anything. You can have them take all the psych tests you want, the IQ tests. You can play rock, paper, scissors to your blue in the face. And you know what it all means? Squat. The reason it means nothing is that you will not know about a player you draft until you look in their eyes and you see whether or not there's fear. And you'll see that when they're on the field of play, not in the clubhouse, not in the press conference, not in the negotiation for a, a rookie deal, none of that. Not in the combine, not when they're running the 440, not when they're doing lifting, tackling, throwing, showcasing, bullpens, yada, yada, yada. All of the team owners, presidents, and all these analytic GMs who say they've got the ticket, they know how to see if a player is going to be good by what they do during the draft process and during the recruiting process. They are all full of horse hockey. How do I know it? Because I've been around it. 
But we think that if we tell you the fans or tell you the media that we've got this secret sauce that we try to get to know a player in a way that you wouldn't even think of with ways that you can't even imagine like playing rock, paper, scissors, that makes us smart. And that's why we've got the jobs we have and you don't because we're smarter than you. That's why we say it. And you know what? We're all full of it. We're not smarter than you. We're luckier than you. We took advantage of an opportunity that you just never got. That's the only reason we're in this position. If I'm an Eagles fan right now, I am DBR, despondent beyond repair, because my new head coach who replaced my Super Bowl winning coach and my owner and my new head of player personnel are playing rock, paper, scissors, and they call that business? (laughs) It's nothing personal. 